The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. It's a good deal, it seems to me. Um, Chevron is trying to get a footprint in offshore a little bit stronger than they have as of right now. It's a great, it's a great way to get into that part of the market. They're going to have a very large footprint in, uh, in Guyana right away. And uh, it's a business that they can grow out also. That was Robert Yorger, Executive Director at the Energy Futures Division of Mizuho Securities, speaking about oil giant Chevron's $53 billion deal for rival Hess. The tie-up comes in the same month that fellow U.S. producer Exxon announced its own $60 billion pounce on Pioneer Natural Resources. The consequences for oil majors navigating an ever-pressured market are the focus of this week's Views Room. Welcome back to The Views Room, a podcast from Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Jonathan Guilford, coming to you from New York City. Amid an otherwise arid year for deals, Exxon and fellow oil driller Chevron have announced two huge tie-ups within two weeks of each other, with shale production maturing in the United States and long-term demand questions posed by the rise of electric cars and regulatory clampdowns on emissions, the mergers represent a big bet on consolidating supply. At issue now is how others will react and whether these deals will successfully close. Here to talk with me on the topic are Robert Siren, our energy correspondent in New York, and Lauren Silver-Lochland, Breaking Views, U.S. editor. Rob, Lauren, welcome back to the Views Room. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Hey, so this was shaping up to be the year in which the mega deal essentially disappeared. And now we suddenly have two huge oil tie-ups worth over $100 billion in the space of two weeks. Can you just walk me through what exactly happened here? What happened is you have two giant oil firms, Exxon and Chevron, and they both want to ensure they have sufficient oil for the next two decades. Exxon agreed to buy Pioneer Natural Resources. It, that's a big shale producer in Texas for $60 billion. Chevron, well, it, it's going to buy Hess for $53 billion, And Hess has a 30% stake in gigantic Guyana deposit. And is it purely just a kind of production tie-up play? Is it ensuring that they have uh, kind of inventory for the future? Or is there something fundamentally that's changing about the production picture globally that is kind of underlying these deals? It's both, actually. In Chevron's case, you just don't find giant oil fields very often. Moreover, the oil in Guyana can be extracted pretty cheaply at like 30 bucks a barrel. So the production will be profitable most of the time. Exxon's kind of similar. Pioneer had a lot, has a lot of land in the Permian, which is a big shale area in Texas. Same goal, lots of oil that can be pumped profitably even at a really low price. And both companies where the oil prices become more volatile in the future as people shift away from it. But these are both big bets that oil demand will stay high for many years to come. If you pull back the lens a little bit, what I think is really interesting and sort of fun about these two deals is in both cases, the sellers, Pioneer and Hess, have these sort of founding families that are effectively, uh, you know, giving up control of their oil companies and selling out to the bigger firms, Chevron and Exxon. Chevron and Exxon, this says something about their just existence and positions them slightly differently than their European competitors who have really done a lot to change and become um, more active in the energy transition. Chevron and Exxon, the largest American drillers, are you know, just like full on, full steam ahead in fossil fuels. 
And um, it's even for the U.S., it's a generational shift from these wildcatters who developed the industry here to the companies who are effectively, you know, rolling up the business to compete with what is left of the global oil share. So is this effectively the end of the Wild West in oil? Are there still a ton of kind of independence left to scoop up? Or is, you know, kind of the old timey oil dynasty family? Is that just a thing of the past now? I, you know, there's still a lot, I think, of of small investors and, you know, try to around Texas and every third person you meet will, will own an oil well or some share of one. Um, but uh, what this does is consolidate a lot of the production into, you know, two umbrellas in that area, assuming both of these deals go through, which there's a question about that. But um, it, it just it gives the, it, it pushes the industry one step closer to being, you know, sort of bigger, both bigger and smaller. Both of these deals make the companies look more alike. They'll both have big stakes in Ghana, as well as giant shale operations in Texas. Got it. And I mean, does that imply anything about the timing of these deals? Obviously, to see kind of the pioneer transaction come along and then all of a sudden, two weeks later, you have this other gigantic um, announcement. Is this a case of if you sit on your hands, that's a dangerous position to be in and you need to catch up? Or is it probable that this is just fundamentally driven and this was always going to happen, whether kind of one deal or the other um, was announced first or not? I mean, I, I don't know, Rob, what you think, but I think it's sort of both. And there's a third part of this, right? Like, oh, shoot, my competitor's doing something. I should do something, too. I mean, these don't happen in a vacuum, right? Uh, you know, Pioneer is selling itself. You have to be sure that Chevron got a look to buy it. Chevron wanted to buy something else. But both parties knew that these auctions were happening without a doubt. Um, I think there is a sort of, okay, race to become the biggest. But there's a third part of this, which is, hey, if my competitor is tied up buying this company, they're not going to counterbid for the one that I'm buying. So in effect, what they've done is kept each other from bidding on um, bidding on an asset that's for sale. Got it. Okay. And I mean, I guess that would also have implications for anything that we see after this, right? Uh, now that you have the two 900-pound gorillas in the room, both kind of tied up. I mean, are there... Do you think this puts pressure on the rest of the industry to kind of follow suit? Or is this something that is really unique to these companies and their, their opportunity set? I think there are a couple of mid-sized players like Occidental that don't necessarily have to do anything. There are smaller companies, however, that have land and shale basins that are depleting quickly. And the valuations of these small companies are pretty low, so they might like to sell. But with big players tied up, it's unclear if buyers might bite. Right. And I think that's a salient question, right? Lauren, you mentioned earlier, there's an open question as to whether these deals will be allowed to close. Regulators, obviously, not just antitrust regulators, but the entire uh, kind of uh, apparatus of the state is very interested in pushing, you know, different parts of the economy towards different businesses that maybe have a different emissions profile. There are climate goals that everybody's thinking about. You know, we've heard a lot about some of the old guard fossil fuel companies pivoting into new energy. I mean, is this something that runs counter to that whole trend? And do you think it maybe affects kind of how this administration or others might look at tie-ups? I mean, 
I'm actually in Washington now and have asked a lot of people that exact question. And unlike other deals where you, you sort of, I'm thinking tech deals in particular, Microsoft Activision or whatever, where you get a sort of similar answer, which is, oh, the FTC does not have a case, but they're still going to push it. And, you know, therefore this is going to drag on. The answers I'm getting back on this one are completely opposing. Like one is absolutely this is going through. There's no reason for it not to. And by the way, like these companies would exist in isolation, whether or not there are there is a deal. And then the other answer is like, this is absolutely positively not going through. And the, oh, the people who are saying, oh, this is absolutely positively not going through are not ones who are necess necessarily supportive of that. They're just very skeptical of deal making in this um, environment. I, I think that there is going to be some sort of pushback. And I do think that there are several reasons why that's valid. Um, for example, it's true that these two companies, Hess and Chevron, would exist whether or not they um, merged, but they're merging because they will exist longer if they are together. Um, whether that falls under the mandate of, of uh, antitrust watchdogs is a completely separate question. They're supposed to be looking at antitrust behavior and if that affects consumers. And so it's a really difficult case to make that, oh, by the way, because you're merging, you're going to be around longer and, and therefore that's not allowed. Mm, that's not quite like an antitrust case, you know? So there's still a lot that needs to be worked out. I, I don't think that this is going to be the last we hear from antitrust watchdogs, but I, I don't, I, you know, I, it's hard at, at, this, at least at this point to see what the case would be. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of touched on the point there of viability and in the long term, what is going to happen to these companies? Obviously, you know, electric cars are the big story of the past couple of years. There's a question about marginal demand for oil um, as sort of battery powered cars continue to increase in popularity. Uh, governments everywhere want to try and, you know, pivot off of a fossil fuel economy. Um, I, I, what I do wonder is kind of thinking through the risks to the buyers um, in these deals. Is there a possibility that they're over-indexing themselves to a, a industry that is just fundamentally going into a decline phase, or is it kind of too easy to too early to call that? There's clearly some risk to the buyers here. Just look at the last giant deal Exxon did when it bought XTO for thirty-one billion in two thousand nine. It bought when gas prices are really high. A glut happened after that, however, as prices fell, and Exxon had to write off a lot of money that they paid. A similar thing could happen here. Electric car sales are rising rapidly. That's going to lower demand at some point. So these firms might be buying long-duration assets just as the market's about to decline. You're sort of asking two different questions, though, Jonathan. It's like, is it a risk to shareholders if they do a deal that puts them further in the oil market? Like, yes, of course, as Rob says, oil is going away. At the same time, these very investors have bought into Exxon and have and and Chevron and Hess and Pioneer. It's like they've bought into the oil story. So, I mean, they they don't have to be convinced on that. We could disagree about whether that's the right idea, but like they they think it is. Okay. Uh no, that totally makes sense. Um and I think the question from here on out, right, as we're waiting towards a close is we're trying to think through, oh, you know, what are the next steps for the industry? You pointed out, Rob, to a couple of uh, mid-sized folks who maybe feel, can they sit on their hands? Can't they? But there are other players in here. You have Warren Buffett, obviously, uh, Occidental. Um, you have 
you know, activist investors who have gotten involved in the sector. Is there anywhere specifically we should be looking next and thinking this is a company or this is a management team that has to really think about what they're doing coming out of these announcements? So I think you're right. I think that what needs to happen is an activist is going to have to come into this situation because I think that otherwise Hess is going to have to push Chevron to bid against itself. Um, Occidental might come in, but Buffett effectively owns 40% of the company and he doesn't want to get into competitive auctions. It doesn't mean he wouldn't, but, um, but there are other assets still out there. And um, and at this point, he probably knows Chevron is going to be really aggressive. Um, so, and with such a small premium, they've left themselves room. Um, so, I, I I think the other, which might be interesting to sort of keep an eye on, is Hess management itself, and even in some ways, Pioneer management, right? Like the roles that they're getting in Exxon, the deals that they've inked for themselves, which are actually really hefty packages the payments that they'll eventually get as a result of selling out and the motivation they had to do that um and that happens in every deal but in these in in particular because they own such a big stake in these companies and they control the management teams um so 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 obviously there's an incentive for them to do this that's different than the shareholder base one thing i'm wondering about is what do the europeans do they seem like they're more invested in transition away from fossil fuels so I kind of doubt they'll be interested in expanding their portfolios by buying a huge American firm. And there are a lot of American firms. So what do they do? Uh, smaller American firms, what do they do? One interesting answer is maybe they roll up these companies and cut costs. That may be more easily said than done, however. Fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me, Robin Lauren. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslick in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with more of our views at breakingviews.com and on the X social media site, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.